everybody, and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Ladier. I am one of your hosts, Sophie, joined as always by my utterly stupefying co-host, Hannah. Give me to So I'm I'm so glad that you did that on the podcast because literally right before we started recording, I said, give me a second. Now, what Hannah didn't know is I was trying to pick a good synonym to use to describe her because that's a fun game for me. And as I'm looking at all these words, she starts singing this Civil War song um, that we knew growing up because my stepdad, our stepdad is a huge Civil War buff. uh, And so we had a couple like... 97th regimental string band albums in the car and uh so stupefying was like well we're going with that uh because (laughs) that feels accurate so i'm glad you then sang the song for everyone hannah that was um that really i wanted to uh carry it over i was uh i had a a brief moment where i tried to decide if i was going to sing that one or rasputin (laughs) oh yeah oh my gosh okay we're gonna get into that not a civil war song but equally baffling um i went on a whole journey with that and i cannot (laughs) wait to share it with you (laughs) i'm super excited um before we go too far into our episode um before we talk about our movie for this week i wanted to talk to folks about a movie that i watched recently that i actually really enjoyed um i'm gonna say right off the bat that if you're a if you're like hannah you should skip this movie because it's supernatural and you probably won't like it but um my partner and i have this thing which we call saturday night movies or friday night movies they are interchangeable it is sort of like a shorthand we have with each other for um the kind of movie that i think some people might watch like on a saturday afternoon when it's raining outside and you don't want to do anything for us These movies are especially appealing on a Friday or Saturday night when we've been drinking and we might not be able to stay awake for a whole movie, but we want to put on something kind of crazy. And especially early on into doing this, we really got in a groove. Like some of my favorite Saturday night movies and Friday night movies have been monster movies from the 80s and 90s. So things like Mimic or The Abyss. And the thing is, we've blown through a lot of those. So now we sort of struggle to find good uh, Friday or Saturday night movies. This weekend, I kept telling Jeremy that all I wanted was to watch a Saturday night movie. Now, at the time, it was a Sunday afternoon, but we were just having like a lazy day on the couch. And I was like, I want to watch a movie that's just like silly and a little bit scary. but It's not going to like scare the shit out of me. It's not going to um require a lot of brain power on my end we couldn't think of anything we're you know scrolling all the streaming services and then jeremy says oh there's this movie on shutter that i had asked you about he had asked me about called z why don't we watch that the premise of z is it's a husband and wife with a young son i think he's supposed to be eight he has an imaginary friend who he calls z Hmm. And it becomes apparent that Z is real and that Z is uh, terrifying and, like, pretty violent. Um, So 
I was like, yeah, that sounds like exactly the kind of thing I want. Like, it's it's brand new, which is not usually in the wheelhouse of what I want for a weekend movie. Um, but I was like, it sounds kind of bonkers. Let's get into it. So we start this movie out. Hannah, you will be <laughs> so fucking stoked when I tell you who's in it. So first of all, playing the mother of the young boy is uh, Keegan Connor Tracy, who... Anyone listening to this will recognize her from something. She's been in a ton of TV. Um, we, Hannah, I think know her most from Once, back in the day when we used to watch that. Um, but she was also in Supernatural. She was in Bates Motel. Um, she's been in a ton of television shows. She was in... Um, the movie that she's most known for, according to IMDb, is Final Destination 2. So she's in that, but I don't remember who she plays in that movie. Hmm. So that's great. The thing you'll be most excited about, though, is playing the father, our favorite, Sean Rogerson, who I love from a movie called Grave Encounters, which you can't watch because ghosts. But you know him as Booth in Harper's Island, a slasher no TV way. show that we both love. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that was great. I was, like, on board immediately when I saw the two of them. I was like, okay, so we got some, like, people that, you know, can can act. And uh, this movie was, was listen, I don't want to overhype it. It's not going to, like, blow your mind. You're not going to be like, this is the best movie I've seen all year. However, it so exceeded my expectations, and it really scared me. Like, they're, the first time that we see, I guess it's not the first time, but the, the second time that we see this, the um, imaginary friend, the first time that we kind of see him, like, head on, it is horrifying. <laughs> like, the, the creature design for Z is really scary. Um, and I think they do a really good job where it's clearly a movie that they didn't have a massive budget. And I think we both know that one thing that a lot of movies that want to create a monster struggle from is it can actually be kind of hard to create a monster that looks scary. Like creature design is hard. And I think we sort of take for granted that like, all you have to do is like paint it green and slap some googly eyes on it. It's going to be scary. Um, this movie succeeds in creating a creature that is scary. And then also um, whenever we see Z, it's like a split second. So you don't have enough time to like notice what I'm sure might like make him less scary. If you could look at him for a long time. Um, when you so first started saying that, I thought, um, like, about us knowing and recognizing it could be hard to make a creature. I definitely thought you were going to say, like, we both know, or, like, as everybody knows, Sophie loves a low-budget horror movie that does a great job with their low-budget creature. Oh, that, too. <laughs> we also know that. Listeners know that. Um, yeah, no, it's really good. Like, um... Yeah, it had it just had some really cool sequences. It did some clever things with scares. Uh, the I would say the third act really like the pacing in the third down slows down significantly. So that's kind of a bummer, but still a fun watch. So if you're like me, where you just kind of want something to pop on that'll kind of like build some tension, be kind of scary, be the kind of scary where you're gonna kind of like jump and then laugh. And whatever, it definitely was super successful for that. So uh, check out Z. It's streaming, I think, exclusively on Shudder. That reminds me, though, Sophie, have you heard of Ghosts of War? I don't believe so. 
so I saw the trailer for today because since I have a Google phone, it does a thing sometimes where it will like recommend um, articles or oftentimes movie trailers because it just knows I like that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a horror movie about a group of American soldiers who are uh, basically assigned to watch over this like ex-Nazi occupied house in France. And it, um, based off the trailer, it appears it is haunted by possibly both the Nazis and the family who lived there <laughs> that Whoa. were killed by the Nazis. Um, but our favorite, uh, Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy, <gasps> and oh. we love him, Kyle Gallner from Veronica Mars, who we love, but not Shh. for his character in Veronica Mars as much. But just Shut in the general. front door. They're I mean, I'm down to watch it. any horror movie he's in. Like, anyone. I know. They're both in it, and I'm very excited about it. And then Skylar Aston, the guy from um, Pitch Perfect, is in it. But I swear to God, like, the whole time I watch the trailer, it is as if he is doing a near-perfect impersonation of, um, what's his name? Uh, is it John Paul Gallagher Jr.? John Gallagher Jr.? John Gallagher Jr. Yeah, it. Like, Were you confusing it, him with Mark Paul Gossler? Yes, I was. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a. I ship that. I'm in. Oh yeah, they actually do look similar. Um, but yeah, but I never noticed this. But Skylar Aston and him are very similar, and um, Skylar Aston is in some period attire that makes him, um, somewhat unrecognizable. And I was like, it's either Skylar Aston with his hair and makeup in a really weird way, or it's um, John Gallagher Jr. <laughs> in oh, the same interesting. thing. Interesting. Okay, well, that's really But it's really cool. cool. It looks... I'm interested. I am interested. And then it has this guy, Brendan Thwaites, who I kind of hate, <laughs> um, but you might recognize him because he's this Australian actor who, like, blew up for a minute in America because they tried to make him a thing. Um... He's just, like, this nondescript dude who's been in a bunch of terrible movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, um, The Giver, Gods of Egypt, and, like, all those, like, big budget flops. Um, The amount of shade and disdain that is coming at me from your (laughs) computer right now is, like, making me uncomfortable. It's not even aimed at me. I feel bad for this poor Australian man. Well, because here's the thing. (laughs) <laughs> this movie I saw the trailer for and I got really excited about because I was like, wow, there's a bunch of actors in this who I love. And then I saw that he's like the main character and I got really upset because I actually used to really love him because he was on this Australian TV show called Slide, which I remember very little about except that I watched in high school and as a high schooler. It's kind of like Australian Skins and watching it as a high schooler, I was like, this is amazing, oh my god, like, I'm in love with everybody on this show. Um, And his character had a really cute love story with this girl who was, like, kind of geeky. So I did used to love him, and then he started popping up in all these terrible movies, and I was like, get out of here. Sophia, You lost your appetite for him. He's in that movie with the mirror, too. Oculus. Yeah, he's in Oculus also, so you'd probably recognize him. He's in so much stuff, but he just, he's disappointed me 
um, on several levels, especially because he was in the... Uh, it's a whole thing. He was in the movie remake of The Giver, and I despise that movie and yes, everything I, it represents yeah. that I will never get the adaptation that I want. Well, Hannah, I have something to tell you that's going to cheer you up, and I feel confident that you don't know about it because you don't have Twitter. Um, so we actually weren't... I wasn't planning to talk about this on air, but since you brought up Theo Rossi, I just, like, I'm going to go for it. Uh, this would have been in later news, except that no women are involved. I just, like, wanted to share it because <laughs> uh, Sons of Anarchy... <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. All right. We may or may not leave that in. Um, oh, 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 oh. Wow. <laughs> so, Hannah, this this is, this is piece of news is going to be a really great nexus of Twitter, which you don't have, uh, Sons of Anarchy Connection, which you'll appreciate, and soccer, which you hate. So, um, <laughs> get excited. There's a lot going on for me in this information. <laughs> yeah. So I hope I get the details of this right, but I'm going to be telling most of it to you from memory because it's not uh, the folks, the Twitter, the stuff that's happening on Twitter is being done by folks that are not super Twitter literate. So not everything is threaded and I couldn't go back to like find every detail. So bear with me. But I don't even understand what some of what you just said meant. I knew you wouldn't. That's more for the listeners. Um <laughs> So the background is that, uh, you know, as there has been sort of more momentum around the Black Lives Matter movement in the last several weeks, um, some corporations have come out, you know, saying, I think to varying degrees of authenticity and success that they stand with Black Lives Matter. Um, And one of the things that happened i think two weeks ago was that u.s soccer uh made an announcement that they were going that it was fine with them if there if any players wanted to kneel during the anthem um that they weren't gonna like do what the nfl did and find people and you know basically blackball them uh and shit like that so when that news came out donald trump tweeted and was like well i'm never watching soccer again uh, which is such a strange thing because he doesn't strike me as the kind who would appreciate soccer. Like, just <laughs> doesn't seem like it. Who's to say? So anyway, um, I guess like he got some flack for US that. U.S. soccer was like, oh, bummer. <laughs> so I guess before he got flack for it, uh, this like shitty Republican, I think state legis I forget. What- I honestly don't even give a shit. Some like Trump talking piece uh, from a different state was who just like is a lackey of Trump's was like defending Trump for saying that. And Ron Perlman of Sons of Anarchy fame tweeted and was basically like, Oh my gosh, it turns out U S soccer doesn't give a fuck what you and Donald Trump think (laughs) (laughs) or something to that effect. Like they're not losing sleep over it. They don't care. (laughs) Right. So then that guy, the, the lackey guy kind of starts beefing with uh, Ron Perlman, Ron Perlman is like, you're really lucky that Jim Jordan exists, who's another Republican politician. And he's like, because if it wasn't for Jim Jordan, you would be the ugliest person in the Republican Party. (laughs) Just like lots of shade. So then, uh, to no one's surprise, Senator Ted Cruz, human blobfish, kind of like slinks in with his slimy ass and is like, I'm going to be that kid on the playground who makes other people fight. So he's basically like, 
okay, Hellboy, like, you're really tough on TV, but I bet, like, you couldn't take Jim Jordan in a fight in real life or some shit. Which is, like, oh, and actually, pause. Because I know you're going to have a reaction. Wait, wait, pause. What? Before that happened, before that oh happened, God. the Republican lackey basically was, like, giving Ron Perlman shit because he was, like, seemed really hypocritical for someone who played a white supremacist in a neo-Nazi biker gang to, like, have an opinion about this or something. And it's like, do you not understand how acting works? Like, that's what <laughs> acting is. Uh, I don't think that Ron, like, I would hope that Ron Perlman didn't think that Clay was a good guy. Um, <laughs> So anyway, then Ted Cruz is like, fight, 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 basically. <laughs> um, and so I missed all of this because I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter. But uh, my dear friend Gail texted me first thing yesterday morning, a tweet from Ron Perlman's official Twitter account to Ted Cruz, which says, you know, Ted, I've been giving this some thought. Let's leave Jim Jordan home. You give me 10 minutes with you and Mitch McConnell. Let's see what else you motherfuckers can obstruct besides justice. All we need is a time, place, and a few EMTs standing by. Let uh, me know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, of oh course, sent her, like, God. a really sassy uh, Clay from Sons of Anarchy gif. And then um, after getting that text, Jeremy and I went down, like, a really long rabbit hole figuring out what the uh, instigating... <laughs> In, uh, incidents were but I thought that since you didn't have Twitter you'd want to know that um, and I know it doesn't fit into in later news so I'm glad that you gave me an in to talk about it up top because it just like made my fucking day yesterday that is insane yeah. and amazing so pretty stellar um, there is I was going to say there's no good way to transition but there is Hannah speaking of super badass gangs Let's talk about a super badass girl gang of hot lady vampires. I was going to say, if you ever needed a, a transition of any type, I would just say, Did you get bit? <laughs> but wait. Did you get bit? Okay. That's, <laughs> that's our transition. Uh, we're talking about the 2019 film, Bit. So, Hannah, we didn't prep this before the show, um, but how do you feel about synopsizing Bit for the audience? Um, It's actually kind of funny because when my boss was driving me home from work today, I tried to do it. And um, I had a slightly hard time only because, like, in some ways when you try to sum it up, it's hard to do it justice because the plot in and of itself just sort of laid bare is not that complicated, you know? Right. Like, it's just a girl gang of lady vampires who I believe, for the most part, are all queer. Um, And... They find a new girl to bring into their crew. Um, And that's, like, basically the whole movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, And then there's, like, a bad vampire guy who's, like, in the 
who is kind of a thing, but not really. <laughs> okay, tell me about uh, our protagonist, just so we sort of get a because uh, she's sort of our intro into the gang. Right. So, as per usual, I'm not great with names um, in any of the That's movies. That's fine. I got you. Her name, but is her Laurel. name is Laurel. Okay, as I was gonna say, I remember that because I remember her brother was calling her Lolo. Um, but so she just graduated high school and she's going out to LA to visit with her brother. Um, and she goes to a party, um, or she goes to a bar with him. Basically, every parent from the Midwest's worst nightmare sending their kid to LA happens on the very first night where she goes to a bar meet someone, leaves without telling her brother, and then dies. <laughs> like, is murdered, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in her case, she got lucky in that the person who killed her happened to be a vampire and did it on purpose to turn her into a vampire. Um, but then she has to kind of adjust to whether or not she can be a vampire, if she can live that way. This particular crew of vampires, like, their rules, um, their, like, code of ethics, I suppose, um, and how, kind of how that clashes with her, um, like, trying to still have a family and a life. Um, yeah, I don't know. Does that work? That's awesome. That was great. Um yeah, I had heard about this movie. Uh, Emily Gordon mentioned it on the podcast that she and her husband Kumail Nanjiani did during quarantine, which actually just wrapped last week. There were 12 episodes. Uh, if you have not yet listened to it, I would highly recommend. It's called Staying In With Emily and Kumail. If I remember correctly, I think they are friends with uh, Char Diaz, who plays Frog. Um, I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that they that that's why they uh, they talked about that when they talked about the movie. So they recommended the movie, and I was sort of instantly, they were like, it's this really cool kind of um, 80s vibe uh, lesbian vampire movie. And I was like, oh, I'm very into that. Uh, yeah. I think it's well established that you and I both really love Lost Boys, and I was like, this feels like a beautiful continuation of that, and I want it in my life. Um so yeah, uh, Hannah, I'm interested to hear, give me a, like a quick rundown before we get into the movie too much. Give me a quick rundown of what you thought watching the movie. Well, um, one of the first things I thought about this movie was the first, the first person credited is this actress, Diana Hopper. So I was like, oh, is she related to Edward Hopper? Uh, or not Edward Hopper, sorry, Dennis Hopper. And she is not. But there are two other famous children in this movie. Did you know that? No. Tell me who. So the actor who plays her brother is James Paxton. Um, and his father is Bill Paxton. Oh. R. That I. checks out. Yep. Um, and then um, Mick Jagger's son is also in this movie, James Jagger. Um but he plays Cody, and I'm honestly not sure who that is. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at IMDb right now. That's, like, super far down. He just has to be, like, one of the douchey guys they kill. Yeah, 
But it's kind of funny because when I saw the first actress's name, I thought she was um, Edward. I keep saying Edward Hopper. <laughs> she was Dennis Hopper's um, daughter. And then when I went to look at IMDb to be like, oh, is she someone famous's kid? Then I accidentally realized that two other people in this movie are famous people's kids, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of funny. But um, so, like. Okay, I'm losing my train of thought because I just had been so excited to. You were going to tell me like a brief synopsis of your thoughts on the movie. Okay, so my thoughts on the movie, I, um, I really liked it and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun, um, and I thought it did a good job of like that kind of campy vibe without going too far in either direction. Like, it towed that line really well. It didn't go so so much so that it became cheesy or lame. Um, and then it didn't go so serious at times that it became, like, too much or taking itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of that was great. Um, and I thought, like, the acting uh, was pretty good across the board. And that the writing was pretty solid too. I think um, for me, at times it felt a little um, like sparse to me. Like there were times where I kind of wish there was a little more going on. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that's kind of in keeping with the genre, like in Lost Boys, kind of from top to bottom, um, it's it's similar where not that much happens if you were to try to explain it. It would just be like, you know, Michael gets turned into a vampire and then struggles <laughs> as he tries to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is very similar in the pacing uh, as other movies of this sort of like, you know, person accidentally becomes a vampire genre. Um, <laughs> right. Um, so I, I did really, really like it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I love the main girl. I thought she was amazing, and that she kind of carried a lot of the movie on her back just by being, like, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, she watch. and her cheekbones, like, carried this. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, it was but amazing. I did feel at times that I did kind of wish there was, like, a little more going on or maybe a little more to it um but I think for the most part like I really enjoyed it nice um I think I'm with you on on a lot of respects uh I didn't quite have the same issue that you did with the plotting but I think that is because of what you said that like for me um this movie felt so much like Lost Boys it Mm -hmm. had so many like one of my first notes was like oh this is like Lost Boys for Gen Z Mm-hmm. Um, and there were so many like direct beats. Uh, there's a scene where right after she gets bit, but she hasn't fully turned yet. They sort of subscribe to the same mythology that Lost Boys does where you don't fully turn until you feed. Mm-hmm. So she's in that in-between point. And similarly to in Lost Boys, we get all these scenes of her like just laying around being really like tired and lethargic and cranky. Uh, and her brother gives her a bowl of quinoa and she just kind of like stares at it. Like it's the most disgusting thing she's ever seen. 
And then she tries to eat it and she vomits. And it reminded me so much of the scene in Lost Boys where uh, Kiefer Sutherland makes Michael eat the um, the Michael. maggots that is rice or the worms that are lo mein noodles. Yeah. Um, so I thought this movie w- was really fun. I can imagine that there uh, would be people much like uh, they're much like some audience members who saw Black Christmas felt like some of the dialogue was too on the nose and like too preachy. I could see people having that feeling about this movie, but just like in that movie, I didn't feel that way. There were so many points where I was like, I'm going to write this quote down because I want to be like, yes, yes, yes. Like, yeah, there were some, there's some, there's some dialogue in this that I really, really enjoyed. Um, so let's get into it before we get, into any like substantial discussion of the movie, I have to say that her friend Andy reminded me so much of your friend John. I know, me too. I was gonna say that. <laughs> so like he had a really similar like chin and like his mannerisms were so similar to John's that I was like, this is fucking crazy. <laughs> um, so what did you think of I liked how this movie sort of established itself immediately where it has this cold open where this woman who's a vampire bites a guy and they're talking about how much they love each other and he's thanking her for turning him and then duke and her gang kind of walk in and they kill the guy and they tell the woman that they're going to throw her in the hole and um they tell her that she broke the rules but uh duke's like you know the rules no fucking boys which is like no fucking boys, like, we don't turn boys, but also, like, no fucking boys, you know? Yeah. And I love that, like, that line, I was like, all right, this movie has announced itself and is like, this is what we're here to do. Yeah. And, and now we're going to go. I think that that's, like, that's exactly right. Like, that being kind of the line that we sort of really jump into the movie off of is a great opener to be like, get ready because this is the kind of vibe we're going for for like the rest of this movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is one that I was pretty immediately like okay I'm here for it (laughs) also really quick just because as you were talking I was scrolling through the IMDB page for this movie and the IMDB summary for this film now of course the plot summaries are posted by users But the storyline says a transgender teenage girl on summer vacation in L.A. fights to survive after she falls in with four queer feminist vampires. Did I just totally miss that she was trans? Okay, no. So, see, I had read that before we watched the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are some references to the fact that she's trans. Um, But it's never overtly discussed or, or brought up. Um, so it was kind of an interesting thing because when I read that as the, as the, um, synopsis on IMDb, when I was actually watching the movie, I was like, I don't actually feel like that's even really part of this movie necessarily. Um, but like, you know, at the beginning, um, when she's at her graduation party, somebody comes up to her and is like, oh, I just want to tell you. I think what you did is amazing and I'm, like, really impressed by you or whatever. Like, drunkenly is basically, like, you're really brave. Mm -hmm. And then she's kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever, bye. Um, And then when they say, when they are, when the vampires are explaining 
their rules and they say, you know, we're all about women and only women. She's like, what about me? And the other vampire says, that never even crossed my mind. Um, so there was, like, little things like that, like, where there were little, like, references to the fact that she's trans. Um, but I personally was like, I don't even think that really is that much a part of the story. Hmm. Like, did is you it- not know the whole time? I did not. Um, yeah, and that's, like, also part of why her brother says that stuff to her at the end. This, like, totally went, completely went over my head. Like, all, so the, the thing with the guy talking to her at the beginning, I totally, like, I remember what you're talking about, and I was just sort of like, what are they talking about? But, like, so I wonder if you had watched it and not known right, that her like character if- was trans. So the actress is trans. Um... So I guess then if you knew that, that would also help with the code. I had I just had no I had no idea. Um, that was, yeah, but I oh, think that, that makes me want to rewatch of, it. I think that you're kind of um, you not knowing that is also kind of says something about the way that it's a that that is approached within the movie itself. You know, like they. Uh, make mention of it but I think that they also make it a point that it's not her only character or her only attribute oh no no yeah for sure but I think like it 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 uh, enriches the sort of like messaging in the movie I think yeah oh absolutely that. Does that make yeah. sense um, also, really quick, just like some mid episode in Ladyer news because again this was all new to me. But uh, Nicole Maines, who plays Laurel, is a trans rights activist, and she was the plaintiff in a Maine Supreme Court case, Doe v. Regional School, because she wasn't allowed to use the girls' bathroom when she was in school, um, and won that case. That is amazing. How old is she? Uh, she was born in 1997. Wow. Wow, so she's wow, 21. wow. She's 21. She's so young and she's so accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so what? Holy crap. That's amazing. So, yeah, that was totally lost on me. Um, I want to talk a little bit, like, while we're on the topic of gender, because obviously, and I mean, like, this is a huge topic, so we don't have to do everything gender-related in the movie right now. But um, I sort of really enjoyed getting to watch there's a scene kind of early on when Laurel first goes with um oh crud what's the other girl's name do you remember the other girl's name the actress's name is Zoe Izzy so when Nicole and Izzy go to this like after party which is where Nicole gets um bit and Duke is sort of like talking to and playing pool with these two guys. And uh, when she wins, she makes the one guy show him her dick. And then she takes him upstairs. And it was really interesting because, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, and maybe I was like reading too much into it. But I was like, this is such a fascinating setup where you have um, the woman being the like, more aggressive person sexually in the situation, which we don't get to see portrayed very often. Like, I think you and I both know, like, women are just as sexual as men, so it's not like women are like, oh, my goodness. 
Um, but I think we're often portrayed that way in media. Mm-hmm. But it was really interesting to then watch, like, these men walking into a situation that, like, I don't think most women would. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, they just seem... It makes them seem, like, so sure of themselves that they're, like, invincible and entitled that, like, nothing... Of course they're going to get to fuck her because that's the deal. And they don't have to be afraid because she's a girl. Um, right. You know? Yeah, well, because it's like, I mean, watching that as a, when she asks the dude to show his dick and then is immediately like, not much, but it'll do. And then she basically insults him by saying, like, are you going to, like, be able to get hard or are you going to just, like, be pointless to me? Um, and he, and to me watching that, I'm like, wow, like, <laughs> like, I would definitely not go to a second location with a person who asked to see a part of my private body in a public space and then insulted me afterwards. Yeah, right. Um, Because as a person who is female and lives in constant fear, like, that to me would be like, this person is definitely dangerous or has sinister intentions. Um, so I agree with you. The fact that not only he goes along, but his friend does too. And she's basically like, I'll fuck him and then I'll fuck you. And they're both like, okay. Mm -hmm. Like watching that, you're kind of thinking, um, well, or at least I kind of had this reaction of, it's interesting when you go into a movie like this, because I didn't know, you know, going into it necessarily if the gang of, vampires were going to be good or bad and um because oftentimes they're not like the the evil or quote-unquote evil in the film isn't the also kind of the heroes um Mm -hmm. i was expecting it to be more like lost boys where this is a crew of evil vampires and we're rooting against them not for them Um, But I think in that scene, like, when it starts off, I'm like, oh, no, they're just going to kill these these guys who are just so dumb. And then when the guys go along with them, it kind of plays with that a little bit because it's just like, you're so dumb and you're being, like, so stupid because you're so blinded by the possibility of sex. Mm -hmm. And that kind of flips the script on you, too, because... You're like, well, I don't really feel that bad for them if they're going to be this, like, just idiotic for, (laughs) like, so blinded by the uh, possibility of some type of sexual contact. Right. Um, And then, of course, we feel less bad for them because Duke reveals that the one guy who she has handcuffed to the bed um, is a rapist and got away with it. Um and he immediately starts trying to bargain with her once she, like, has killed his friend and told him that, like, she targeted him on purpose because of that. Um, and she says, you have the you have the length of this cigarette to realize that this time it's just not going to work out for you. Um, mm-hmm. Which I love. Like, it's such a great threat. And, it, like, I think we get a lot of lines like that from Duke that just really... Um, paint a picture of the kind of like authoritative uh, person that she is, which I really enjoyed, but it also is such a great like slap at 
white privilege and like male privilege without explicitly saying it, but just being like, you're so used to things working out in your favor that it has not even occurred to you that you're fucked right now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, definitely. Like, you're just going to follow the person to a second location and not even give it a second thought because why would you, given your experience? Right. And even when she calls him out on the rape, like, his response isn't to, like, apologize or show any remorse. It's to try to, like, again, bargain or be, like, how could you possibly know that? Like, it, you know, it. he doesn't, he doesn't, even in his last moment, seem to feel, like, any remorse or sorrow for what he did. Yeah. Um, He's more just in of, disbelief. Right. And we sort of see that throughout the movie, so... Duke, uh, once they turn Laurel, Duke says that, like, when they can, they try to um, only feed on bad people. And they sort of make it very explicit that that typically means um, uh, straight dudes. And so we get some examples. We have this guy who's, like, an internet troll and, like, an alt-right conspiracy guy who is a prepper and is super misogynistic and then we get a montage later on where we get um, three, I thought it was really interesting, three archetypes of, like, toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, and two of them are super obvious. You get, like, a guy who tries to date rape one of the uh, vampires. You get a peeping Tom. But then you get, my, I think, my favorite uh, example of, like, shitty maleness in this entire movie, which is this artist who is, it appears, like, they're at, like, an opening for his exhibition, and someone asks him if he's a feminist, and he sort of, like, sidesteps it and says, like, can men really be feminists? Like, men need to step aside and listen. He, like, he does the thing that you and I talked about really early on, where he clearly, like, says all the shit that he knows he's supposed to say, right? Like, mm-hmm. but he's actually, by not saying anything productive, he's saying a lot about how he actually feels about the issue. Um, and I really appreciated that little montage quite, quite a bit. (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, well, I guess inherently with a movie like this, it also makes me have a lot of, like, multiple conversations going on in my head at the same time as I'm watching the movie. Um, just because when a movie does make the choice to confront um, certain issues so head-on or, like, so um, just blatantly. Like, they're just laying it out there for you. Um, Then I also can't help but, like, (laughs) see, start seeing everything as a representation of something else or, like, Mm -hmm. wondering if it is and kind of spiraling in different directions. Um, and I kind of wonder for you, if you have that feeling ever, um, watching a movie like this, but also if you do, how you felt when, um, Duke kind of becomes corrupted by her power Mm -hmm. by the end. Right. Can you give me an example of, like, you were talking about 
um, when the points are made in such a plain way, in some instances, it, it makes you, you were talking about how it makes you like spiral off about different things. Can you give me an example? Of that? But I guess what I kind of was wondering um, is that I start going into this like film studies place where I was wondering, well, what does it mean that Duke is keeping a woman locked, well, a female vampire locked in a hole in the basement? And when she gets out, what does it mean that the first thing she does is resurrect the man? Um, and then what does it mean that she survives but Duke gets put in the hole. Like, I just start going into all these places where I'm like, what does this represent? What does this mean? Like, how could I write this paper, basically? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's partially just because I, since I did go, since I did study film in school, um, I watched so many movies for that purpose that sometimes I have a hard time when I am watching something not to accidentally start doing that. Um, but yeah, so... Like, when I was watching it, it, so much of this movie being openly about gender dynamics, toward the end, I started, like, questioning some of the turns that the story took at the end. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I get that. I think that's definitely a worthwhile conversation to have. I want to really dig into the ending because um, I was also sort of like, I have questions. Um, yeah. <laughs> before we get there, I have a couple other things um, that I wanted to mention. So one thing that I'm sure anyone who watches this movie will catch. I'm, I don't think I'm telling anyone anything revelatory, but I loved. So a lot of times... Movies about vampires are allegories for sexuality in one way or another. I think we've seen that play out again and again and again for decades upon decades within vampire movies um, and vampire stories, frankly. And I love that um, there's a dream sequence um, in which Laurel has a dream after she becomes a vampire and in her dream, her teeth fall out and her teeth fall out because they're making room for her fangs. But, you know, there's this, like, common, uh, commonly held idea that when you have a dream about your teeth falling out, it's because you're sexually frustrated. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, my God. So, like, the second her tooth fell out, I was like, oh, yeah! Like, um, <laughs> I think people, like, doctors who study sleep and study dreams and sort of, like, what dreams mean don't always agree on that but that like whether or not that's a because in the end like a thing you can't you can't um assign one meaning to one symbol in a dream and be like it means this thing means this thing for everyone because that's just how it's going to work but there is sort of this like widely held like whether it's lore or what that like if your teeth fall out in your dream it's because you're sexually frustrated and like you're pent up um, and I thought that was such a cool thing, like, because to me, that's like a pretty intentional nod to like, yeah, um, like her accepting her, you know, becoming a vampire willingly and sort of joining this chosen family is really important. And it like goes hand in hand 
with her sort of like exploring her identity and her sexuality and sort of figuring out what that means for her, um, which I really, really liked. Um, I also wanted to shout out like another little like Easter egg, I guess if you want to call it that, that I really enjoyed was when they are giving her the option about whether she wants to choose to become a vampire or not. Duke frames it as like, this is your moment. Do you want to like take the red pill and come to um, Mm -hmm. whatever Oz or stay in Kansas or something like that? And I don't know if you are aware of this. I am mostly aware of this because of conversations I've had with a client of mine who's like really interested in um, feminism. And he's really baffled by men's rights activists. (laughs) And he, he saw a documentary. I think they must have shown it in the prison or it was on TV. I'm not sure. This like bonkers documentary about like the men's rights movement. And it's, the documentary was created by a woman and the way it's marketed is basically she's like, I thought I was a feminist until I met these men. And then I realized that like feminism uh. is really dangerous and all the stuff. <laughs> um, but the documentary is called the red pill. And a- among a lot of men's rights activism groups, red pilling is a direct reference to the matrix where it's like, once you see the way that like feminism and feminists are ruining the country, you can't unsee it. Um, so I thought that was a really clever, no uh, way. I didn't know that. that. Yeah. To be like, we're taking this back. And now you like, you know, that like, there's a, cause it is like, it's, they're using it in a way that's like the same, but they're flipping it. Cause they're basically like, she is learning about this, like group of really powerful women who are taking out men Right? Like, in some ways, they're using it the same way, but the mm-hmm. emotional impact of it is really different, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's funny. I didn't know that, and I I like that even, even more now. <laughs> I'm just over here blowing your mind. That's what I'm here for. Hey, we're both helping each other with that. <laughs> that's true. Um... So I wanted to take a moment before we get into the ending, because I think we'll both have a lot to say about the ending. I just wanted to read this chunk of dialogue, because like I said, there were several points where the lines in this, I'm sure will strike some folks as being like too on the nose. Um, But I felt like this chunk, parts of this chunk of dialogue that I'm about to read could have been pulled from like an academic paper about gender. And I loved it. So... When they are sort of talking to Laurel and letting them, letting her know that she's a vampire and she has a choice. I mean, we ultimately learn that she doesn't have a choice. The quote unquote cure that they gave her is just ever clear. Um, But they give her the illusion of a choice. Oh, Duke says to her, the world's a meat grinder kid, especially if you're a woman. I don't think you need a fucking PowerPoint presentation to know that one's true. We are socially, politically, and mythically fucked. Our roles are secondary. Our bodies, suspect, alien, other. We were made to be monstrous, so let's be monsters. Let's be gods. Which, like, that scene happened, and I was like, do I want to get Let's Be Monster tattooed on me? Like, I I was so in. Like, I loved... 
the that chunk of dialogue and it's not going to work for everybody but like I went back and watched that a couple times and not just so I could write down the the lines. <laughs> yeah, I mean um I liked I liked that a lot and then I and I also thought I didn't write down the exact line but I also thought like the line that she says when she explains her reasoning behind why they don't allow men um like <laughs> rang true for me like basically her line is like um how men are corrupted by power and if any man had infinite power it would only be a matter of time before they just did horrible things i have um, that line written down would you like me to read it to you yeah she says men can't handle power they have it already and look what they've done with it exactly i mm-hmm. love that i thought that was great and i like wanted to get logic- off my couch and be like woo, 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 woo. <laughs> yeah, like, even though that becomes flawed as the movie goes on, and it's obviously not that black and white, um, that line I thought was great. Um, yeah, when she was like, they can't handle it. Yeah, well, so I think let's get into the ending, because I think that leads us really nicely into the ending section of the movie. So one of the rules that Duke has imposed on their little family of vampires is that you can never glamour another vampire because she was glamoured um when she was human that's how she became a vampire and she spent decades of her life the first several decades of her life as a vampire sort of being held captive and and basically being a slave she talks about being trapped in her own body by this male vampire who turned her and so that's one of her rules and we find out later in the movie the the master comes back and he tells everyone that she's been glamoring them all along. Um, like, he's basically like, she's been using my power, I can smell it. Mm-hmm. And her defense is to sort of say, like, I was doing it for you guys. I was doing it to make it easier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and my initial thought was like, oh, this sounds like it's undermining everything the movie's been doing, which it sounds like it sort of was part of your response to, where it's yeah. like, it feels like we're now saying that, like, vampires, like, vampirism is queerness, and queerness is bad, or, like, vampirism is feminism, and feminism is bad. And I had that same reaction. Where I went with that And it's entirely possible that this is me reading too much into this. And so, like, I I know when you talk to people that are, like, you tell them a thing you didn't like about a movie or, like, an issue you had. And they're, like, they explain it. And you're, like, you're giving the movie too much credit. I might be doing that right now. But to me, the way that stuff read, um, like, the more I've been sitting with it and the more we've been talking about it is – it feels a little bit like because so our our troop of vampires we have um duke who is our like the main vampire right and she is just this like stunningly beautiful like very thin white um woman and then beef and then you have laurel who is trans you have izzy who's black um 
Frog is Hispanic, and the other one whose name I can't remember, I need to look it up, um, is like a much more, uh, like, for lack of a better word, Roya. Roya is like a much more like butch, like is much more like visibly queer mm-hmm. than Duke is. So to me, it read a little bit like uh, Duke sort of represents for me like traditional um, white feminism where it's like feminism is good for everybody. We want it to be for everybody. And then you hear, I mean, for the entirety of the feminist movement, you have queer women, women of color sort of being like, right, but feminism needs to be intersectional because if you're only imagining issues that affect white women, you're missing a bunch of other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, to me, it read a little bit, like, in some ways, like, Duke had internalized some of the, um, like, understanding of power that she was exposed to living for so many years with this guy. And that in some ways she represents, like, a very narrow view of feminism and queerness whereas like once laurel takes over and is like what we need to do with power is what no one with power ever does which is share it and she like makes their movement like intersectional and open Mm -hmm. um and so for me reading it that way which again might be like more than the the writers uh intended but like it feels like instead of undermining what the movie was saying all along it's like, yeah, Duke was a flawed leader. It doesn't mean that Duke is, like, the antagonist of the movie, but Duke was flawed. And now, like, Laurel and the others are going to be able to sort of redirect this in a better direction. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I and I think um, there is something to be said for the fact that they don't um, kill her at the end. Mm-hmm. They just, like, kind of put her in timeout. Um until she can come around to it. Um, so I think since she doesn't get, like, any kind of, uh, like, it's not like she's the bad guy who gets her comeuppets in the end kind of a thing, I think it makes more sense, like, your reading of it, where they're not completely turning her into a villain at the end. Um, but that her viewpoint being so black and white, no pun intended, um, (laughs) is flawed as well. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, so Hannah, wait, when is a good time about bit? Yes. Okay. I was gonna say, when is a good time to tell you about the journey I've been on today? Oh my goodness. Tell (laughs) us now. This is the perfect way to sort of wrap up our discussion on the movie. Okay. So when, Duke is telling the story of how she became a vampire. There is a song playing as that scene goes on where it goes rah, rah, Rasputin whatever. Um, It's like rah, rah, Rasputin something, something, sex machine. Yeah, and another time it says like lover of the something queen. Um, Yes, so I had that song stuck in my head all night and all morning. So today I went on a journey and I found out that that song, as well as a ton of other songs I've heard or heard heavily sampled by other songs that 
the more I listened to it, realized basically just ripped this group off, is by a disco group from the 70s called Boney M. It is um, kind of like an ABBA type feel, like it's a four person Mm -hmm. um, quartet of disco. Um, but they are all, uh, they're all black and, um, they're all from different island nations. Um, and I'm trying to see exactly. It is a Euro-Caribbean vocal group, um, but they're amazing. And I basically became a super fan today. Oh my Um, gosh. This needs to, I'm trying to have this be a... A journey I went on and then, like, a public service announcement. It's going to be hard because I can't, like, play the music. But so much of their music you've heard before. You've heard a million times and a million different things. And you didn't know who these people were. And you didn't know anything about this band. And the whole time I was listening to their music today, I was like, how is this band not more famous? How is this band not as famous as ABBA? Like, they are amazing their music is great especially if you like disco and i'm a pretty big fan of disco um so i was really about it but like you know that song that barbara streisand song which one the one that goes like Woo-hoo. yes and it's like barbara streisand yeah okay so i thought you meant a song by barbara streisand oh, not no no about song barbara called streisand. barbara streisand yes so that song almost verbatim is a Boney M song called Gotta Go Home. They just took out the Caribbean um, drum beat, kept like the ooh, and added in someone going, Barbara Streisand. Whoa. Yeah. So. Holy cow. Next time you listen to that Barbara Streisand song, just know it's essentially a ripoff of another song that's better. From the 70s by Boney M. Um, And this is a public service announcement (laughs) that everybody (laughs) needs to get into Boney M and give them the appreciation that they deserve um, because their music is amazing. They have a shitload of it, too. Um, Like, they recorded a lot. Um, But they're, like, hugely, like... One of the things that says about them on Wikipedia is that they've sold over 100 million records worldwide. Um, and they have as many as eight, like, recognizable chart-topping hits. Damn. And we've never heard of them. Well, I'm getting on that tomorrow for sure. Boney M. Apparently, um, the guy who uh, started the band... Um, he was watching a TV show as a child and saw that someone in the credits' last name was Boney, and he thought, hmm, nice name, I thought. Boney M. That sounds simple. That sounds nice. And that is where the name came from. (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. Well, Hannah, thank you for taking us with you on that journey. (laughs) Uh, Now we get to the part of the show where we get real scientific and specific how many Bloody Marys out of five would you give this film on our patent-pending rating scale? 
Okay, sorry, one more thing, and then I'll stop. <laughs> no, oh, I, will I mean, rate please. The movie. I don't want to rush you. This is just the explanation, like the brief summary of the group on Wikipedia. After a slow start, the song became a hit in the Netherlands and Belgium. It was then that Ferran, that is um, uh, Frank Ferran, he started the group, decided to hire performers to front the group for TV performances. He found Maisie Williams who brought in Bobby Farrell, a, a male exotic dancer from Aruba, and Marsha Barrett from Jamaica all joined the group. Um, anyway, that's great. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> I'm just like, that's and you bring a friend, and you, and you, and we're going to make this a thing. Um, but anyway, I think I give this movie... Three and a half Bloody Marys. Um, and maybe the half of one has like real blood for mm. the for the vamps out there. Okay. Okay. Um, I am going to give this movie four Bloody Marys. They're all going to have Everclear in them because it's the oh, cure nice. after all. <laughs> um, and I might take some of that Bloody Mary and just like rub it on my cheekbones to get that like really iconic look that Duke had going on. Mm -hmm. I loved how her blush was like on her cheekbones and then all the way up the side of her face. All the way basically. up the side of her face. If you've ever seen, um, I feel like we've talked about this before, but do you ever watch those videos on Vogue on YouTube where they have different... Um, celebrities do like their either like their nighttime skincare routine or like their morning makeup routine i watched the doja cat one after you recommended that's it. what i was uh, gonna say doja cat's one she puts on so much blush it's a lot she's like i just love it and she's just like putting it all over her face um and she does like the she does like the cheeks all the way around like the same kind of thing <laughs> yeah exactly although like oh r.i.p to how much i used to love doja cat um Sorry to be a Debbie Downer, you guys. Sometimes your faves are problematic, and it's a bummer. Um, okay. But now, for a huge mood booster, our in ladier news for this week. Many listeners will probably know this already, but on Monday of this week, June 15th, um, the U.S. Supreme Court, in a, land, in a landmark decision... Um, decided that the Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act um, should be and is applicable in terms of gender and sexual orientation. And what that means is it federally bans workplace discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or identity, um, gender identity. And so this sort of expands these protections. So for years there have been cases in various states about whether or not uh, LGBTQIA people have uh, the right to be safe from workplace discrimination. And that has played out uh, to varying degrees in different places. Um, and so this decision then sort of wipes out any states that say it's okay to discriminate uh, your, against your employees on the basis of their uh, sexual orientation or gender expression or gender identity um, that's not 
you can't do it federally. You can't. Um, and it was a huge deal. And I think uh, a big a big win in a time that there is so much sort of darkness and pain in the news. Um, that that was like a real bright spot for me this week. So I was very excited to get to share it, especially as it came smack dab in the middle of Pride Month. Woo! <laughs> um, so if you want to get in touch with us, as always, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at 28dayslady underscore er. And if you want to reach out to us, you can send us an email. We are 28dayslatier at gmail.com. We love to hear back from you guys, so please engage with us. We love to chat. Uh, I think that's it for this week. Hannah, what do you say? Um, I say um, always pee after sex. And um, I think after that in later news, everybody should pour a big glass of champagne and do a nice 